So last, last week we talked about, uh, you know, we, we kind of spent most of the time looking at just a few verses about what the daily life looked like in, in the early church, and it was just the last like five or six verses of chapter two. And uh, so really what the things that we saw is that um, this new body of believers, um, what they did uh, kind of almost on a daily basis was they got together and they, they were um, with, you know, heard the apostles teaching who the apostles would have heard from Jesus, and so they're passing down that teaching, and so so these people can grow in their faith. They're from all over the Roman Empire. They're in Jerusalem. They're for the day of Pentecost, uh, which is really a, a feast of weeks, which is um, uh, one of the Jewish feasts uh, to uh, celebrate the harvest. And so people are in there, and this miraculous event uh, happens where they hear languages and kind of dr- attracts a crowd, and they're saved. And then it says after that, all those people that are still visiting, you know, they're traveling for a little bit, you know, what they, what they do. It says they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, devote themselves to fellowship, coming together. We see what they do. They break bread. They eat meals with one another. They pray together. Um, and then it says they were able, they sold things that they had and distributed to those who had needs. So they had everything together in common for that time. And we're going to kind of see that, you know, how that plays out a little bit in what we're going to read today. And so, um, kind of as we're, we're thinking about, um, you know, what's, what's going on in the life of the church. They're kind of going about their daily business, but it's kind of out of the normal routine. Um, you know, well, the question I want us to think, kind of think about this morning is, um, you know, have, have you ever had any ordinary day turn into something that was extraordinary? Um, you know, as I was thinking about Tim's day, you know, he's just a day on vacation, day of fishing, right? Turn into an event that, you know, is probably something that you would tell other people, um, and so we probably all had those days occur, um, but out of the myriad of days, you know, if you thought, like, did anything extraordinary happen this week? You know, and typically that's a question you ask each other, you know, on Sunday mornings, you haven't seen each other a week, so what's been going on? It's usually like, ah, kind of the same old, same old. Um, sometimes, though, you know, extraordinary events happen, um, and often they tend to happen usually when you're on vacation, usually when you're visiting, when your schedule's kind of changed, um, but sometimes they happen, you know, out of a, a typical, um, ordinary day. And so I'd ask for, uh, for, you know, examples, but we probably all have one. But again, like I said, the, you know, Tim's example is a good, good example, just on vacation, just enjoying, you know, being out there and fishing and doing something he loves. And then, you know, bit by a shark kind of changes, um, the day's events, right? <laughs> your priorities, your, your, you know, uh, plans, um, and, and leaves a mark on, you know, really something that you look back on for, for the future. And so uh, we're going to read about uh, an event that happened. So I'm going to read all of chapter 3 in the beginning of chapter 4. And we're just going to re- go through kind of quickly and look at observations and see how far we get in the time that, that we have. Um, but in chapter 3, verse 1, you know, again, uh, churches kind of uh, has their day to day what they're doing. We see specifically, you know, two people, two apostles, and what what is going on in one of their days. Um, it says, "Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple." Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention at them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. 
In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us, as though by our own power or piety we've made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered, over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health and, uh, in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed." God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests of the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. And so we see in the first couple verses, so I know it's kind of a long chapter, and we'll see like, uh, how far we get with this. But the first um, kind of thing that we see you know, in these, we really have kind of titled this Unexpected Encounters, um, is the expected daily routine, really what we see in the first couple verses. Um, it says, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. We read uh, last week that um, it was the habit of the early church to meet at the temple. And we kind of said, well, why meet at the temple? Um, you know, was it to worship? Uh, partly, yes. Were they worshiping at the temple? Um, probably not um, at the temple for the Jewish sacrifices. But we're going to see that, the, you know, there might be a reason um, why they would come together uh, in order to connect with one another. Um, it was at their habit as Jews... Um, there were three, uh, three daily prayers that were offered at the temple where there could be corporate worship that was involved. Uh, one is, was at 6 a.m., the other one was at noon, and the other one was at 3. And so this one says that they were there at the ninth hour. Okay, so the ninth hour, do you remember what the first hour is, or I guess when, when we start tracking time in Judaism? 6 a.m., so the ninth hour would be... 
Three o'clock. Okay. All right. So good job on the math. Um, so they're three o'clock. So we've got the six a.m., the noon, and the three o'clock. And so the six a.m. and the three o'clock were the the morning and evening um, sacrifices. And then the noon would be a time of prayer because that was uh, when most took uh, their large meal. And so meals were sometimes a, a time of of worship as well. And so the people might go to the temple in order to offer up prayers to God. And so there were there were kind of set times, routines, and uh, rituals that were set up at the at the temple when the people met. And it might have been their custom anyway as Jews to make it to the temple to one of those times or maybe a set of those times. And especially as people are, are, uh, have been around um, for different feasts, and, and, and again, that's when all of them, them came together, um, that they might have those appointed times, like let's meet when we all meet for prayer. It would just be kind of like, hey, this event's going on over here. Let's like congregate and meet at that event when this event is taking place. We also kind of saw that it might be a good time where there's, um, as people are learning about Jesus, as they're Jews, that they want to maybe tell other people about who Jesus is coming from their background, and that this might be a good place to witness and to evangelize. And so we don't necessarily see their purposes and why they're meeting, but you can kind of uh, pull and, and, and understand the habits and customs um, and what actually transpires as maybe reasons why they're meeting together. But it seems likely that they're meeting together in order for fellowship, that they might have met together in order to pray themselves during these prayer times. Um, and uh, some of the prayers, interestingly, as I was kind of looking into these sacrifices, and especially, you know, there's a lot deeper that you can get in the sacrificial system, but one of the sacrifices or one of the prayers that the Jews would have had um, during uh, during these sacrifices that they would have had for, for the people would have been to pray that the Messiah would come. Um, one of the prayers that they pray today is Jews being on this side of the temple being destroyed because now they don't do sacrifices at the temple because there is no temple. And since God said this is where you make your sacrifices, they're not, you know, um, they're not going to sacrifice somewhere where God has not ordained. So that put an end to the sacrificial system. But one of the prayers that Orthodox Jews pray today is that there will be a restoration of the temple so that they can make sacrifices once again. Um, and so uh, kind of interesting, um, some of the prayers that, that they pray, and that these Jews might have come together maybe in light of Jesus returning. And so we'll see that, though, in, in what Peter prays about. And so it says, as they're kind of going up, you know, they've got an agenda. They're going to meet some people. Uh, probably didn't have this uh, planned out. Um, just from the, the language that we see, it says, A man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. So it says he was lame from birth, um, and he was being carried. So what, do you, what is that probably, what's that understanding about maybe... His ailment, or what you know, what's wrong with this guy? Okay, it could be something like that. Okay, it could be some type of birth defect. It could be he was born with uh, club feet and unable to walk. It could be some some other um, um, other issue, maybe a deformity in, in a foot or something like that. Um, and so we don't know exactly what it is, but we know he's unable to what walk, right? So he's unable to take himself to somewhere. So people are carrying him there. And it's in the moment of, of this happening that they're carrying there and they're placing him down where they need to go, dropping him off. They're, they're taking him to work. And what was his work? Taking over. 
begging for money, right? Because he couldn't, he couldn't uh, provide for himself. He wasn't able-bodied in order to do that. So they took him to the temple in order to beg. And so they set him by this beautiful gate, or a gate called Beautiful, um, which we don't actually know exactly what gate that is. Maybe those who've been to Israel uh, you know, probably had some, you know, so they, they've got some ideas, right? Where Okay. So the one that's uh, that's leading into the temple, yeah, where people would. Okay. Um, so uh, so they would have laid him there as the people were going in. So it's a high traffic area. You know, good for um, collecting money. You know, more people to see. And uh, we're going to see that this is something. You know, somebody that is is known to the people. And so. Um, he's asking for alms or asking for a charitable donation. So just somebody that you would see normally begging. I remember when I, I went to school at Georgia Tech that seeing people ask for money was like every, everyday common occurrence. Um, you know, going to the grocery store, people would ask you for money. Going, you know, walking down the street, people would ask you for money. Um, I don't know how much it is now, the same, but it was like, again, almost every day um, you were asked ask for money. And that just depends, you know, maybe if you work downtown or in certain areas that you might be uh, approached. Um, so that was a, a part of my daily life. And I haven't been asked for money, you know, where we live in my daily routine now. But that was one way you could engage people in conversation um, if, you so, if you so chose. And that's kind of where we see, you know, what happens next. So it says, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, right? You know, please, you know, help me out. And so Pe- Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them. He expected to receive something from them. So he said, look at me. And the guy's like, oh, you know, all right, I got a, I got a paying customer. And Peter said, um, and I always like to think he says this in like a British accent, like, you know, like Shakespearean, like, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you, right? <laughs> in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And so he says that, um, it just sounds better that way, but it's just so like, like the way he says it, right? I don't have silver or gold to hand you, but what I have, I give to you, right? And so it's kind of just this amazing line. So if I were to do the movie of Acts, this definitely would be like verbatim as it was said. Um, you know, I don't know, Peter would be Kenneth Branagh or something. So Hollywood's calling. I don't know if they, you know. So, so, uh, so he asked Peter and John, what did he ask Peter and John for? Money, right? You know, that's just like I need something today. I need, you know, my, you know, something to 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 get me by, to 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 feed me. Um, did he get what he wanted? <laughs> so he didn't get what he thought he wanted, but he will get something better, right? And so the ex- this is both in their expected daily routine. You know, Peter and John are walking on their way. Hit, you know, hit a beggar, a guy says, hey, can you give me some money? And at that moment, Peter and John just stop and say, look at me. And in that moment, like, you know, the Lord placed on their heart to just change that routine and to stop and to get in this guy's life. And we're going to see something, this unexpected gift that results from it. And so he took him by the right hand and he raised him up. He says, he says you know, this is what I give to you. And he, he raises him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. Right, so we see something again in the feet and the ankles, a support system wasn't able to help him walk. And leaping up, right? Has he ever leapt before? 
No, he's never even walked before. And so he leaps up, he stood and began to walk, like pops up and walks. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And it's almost like you kind of get from the language that Peter and John, like, you know, they heal him and then they're like on their way. And the guy's like, wait, 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 you know, like, here, this is what I give to you. And he heals them. And then they keep moving on and they all kind of walk into the temple. So he's, uh, so he's outside the temple, outside the gate, begging for money. Life is changed. So he doesn't receive money. Receives something much greater than that. He receives healing. And so how does the man respond? What's that? He was excited. What's that? He hung on to Peter and John, and we see that, like, you know, he, he walks past them. You know, I bet in, in, in his daily life, you know, somebody give him money, right? That ended up becoming something expected, right? He begged for money, thank, you know, thanks, I appreciate it, you know, God bless, you know, you might, you might get something of that. I don't think I've ever given somebody money that they've, like, chased me around, you know, like, following me. Even if he got a huge donation, it might be, like, a huge thank you, but this guy would have been back. Well, obviously, he wouldn't have been able to chase him around, but... Um, Yeah. And it's it, you know it's the same thing with like blind you know and given sight right if you have sight um, you know we just don't don't think about what that what that gift would be like you know what what how his how his life would have changed and he you know even apprehending that up to this point he had to rely on others been so like you know. Um, you know, on the mercy of others to take him, you know, wherever he needed to go, to beg for money, and all that changed. And we see that the healing, and, and, and Peter will, will say this, but the healing is perfect, right? It's not like he, he hobbled after him. It's he leapt up and he was completely restored uh, to a state better than he had, um, he had experienced in, in his whole life. And so you kind of, you know, you pause and you think, like, what, what was the purpose of this, you know? And, and sometimes, you know, as we, as we stop and we think, you know, why did Jesus heal people? He had compassion on people, and so he healed them. Um, and sometimes it was just to heal them, to give them a physical, like, a, a, the, the next step in order to uh, get to their heart. Um, and, but a lot of times, like, the healing was to, like, show others, right, that God's presence is here. Um, and so, again, I, and I don't think, you know, again, Peter and John probably didn't say, like, you know, let's, let's go and, and heal someone today. It was just in, the, in how things transpired in the normal course of them going to the temple to meet others at that time. And all the people saw us, as uh, verse 9, all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So this man um, would have been recognized by people, you know, so many people. 
Uh, and again, when I was when I was at Georgia Tech, there were certain um, certain men that stood at certain corners that you kind of got to know. When we lived in San Diego, there was uh, I would go for a run, and then I would talk to these two homeless guys after my run because they were always on this corner. If I didn't see them, I would say like, "Hey, where have you been?" And it was usually some story about you know where they were, but they always kind of went to this one corner for whatever reason. It was like where they slept or where they you know whatever. And so um, so he he was recognizable to everyone because one everyone would have it would have been by the gate that that a lot of people and there's several gates that you could have entered the temple into but um this one where where people would have passed by and they would have recognized this man recognize this man in the sense that like we've seen you but always from like you know looking down but now now we see you standing and leaping and so they were they were amazed by this um amazed uh at what had happened. And so what did this miracle do? The miracle did on, on the, on the, um, on the uh, maybe localized version, it healed this man. But beyond that, what did it do? Exactly, exactly. So it's, it's just like you know, what we saw in chapter 2, where people are speaking in languages. Again, just kind of an odd thing, but people are speaking languages, and they're like, well, what does this mean? Right? Why are these people from, from Galilee be able to speak my language? You know, they're, they're not learned men or women. You know, like, why, how, how are they able to do this? And, and so it like, attracts a crowd, and same thing. Like, people are, are attracted to, to what goes on. And again, um, this is the Holy Spirit working in these particular at these particular times um, to heal particular people in different ways as God so determines. And so this was an unexpected gift for this this man, and and then we start seeing an unexpected crowd. Again, I don't think Peter and John, you know, anticipated what was going to go on, um, but we're going to see that they make the most of this opportunity. So it says, while he clung to Peter and John, again, clung to Peter, not in the sense like he needed help to stand, but clung to Peter and John like, just, you know, like, you have given me something um, that I have never experienced. Like, you know, like, I feel now indebted to you. So clung to Peter and John. And so he would have been, a, you know, Peter and John would have been associated with this man as they're looking at him, you know, because they may not have seen that healing, right? Now they're inside the temple, so they wouldn't have seen him stand up outside, but they're recognizing him, and he's like praising God and, you know, clinging to Peter and John and probably saying these men had something to do with it. Um, and so the people are like, it says they're utterly astonished, um, so the word that we saw earlier, they were filled with, um, it says they were filled with wonder and amazement. That word wonder is, you know, translated as an extra uh, a pronoun that is added to the, the prefix that's added to the, the, the front of that. And it's almost alarmed. Like they're kind of like in a state of like, like, like shock, like dumbfounded. Like what, what is going on? Their curiosity has like, has grabbed them. And it says they ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. Um, and it says, when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Now, Solomon's portico, Charlie, you want to ex- explain what that was? I'm putting you on the spot on this one. <laughs> you bring it more vividly. I just see pictures and models and things like that. And so... Uh, mm-hmm. 
But it was on this end. As you came in, you came into Solomon's portico, I think. Okay, and it was covered, right? Yes, yeah, covered. And there was columns? Yeah. Is that right? Okay. So it would have... It's a mosque now. Yeah, right. It's torn down now and there's just a mosque there, but that's what was there before. Okay, so it's, it's, it's connected to the, the temple uh, that you have to go through the, um, or the, the courtyard outside the temple, and so they would have walked over there, and it would have been likely a meeting place for people, either, you know, because it was shaded, uh, and there were columns and, and places to maybe sit around there, uh, just to either get shelter, and so it seems like this is a place, and we're going to see it uh, uh, in the future, that this seems to be a place where, like, the, they, they gathered, like, let's gather near the temple at Solomon's portico, and so Peter and John are making their way over to this area, but it would have been where people would have naturally kind of congregated, either to stay, you know, out of the elements of the weather if it's hot uh, or rainy or things like that, or just shade. But again, just kind of a meeting place out instead of like the open open courtyard. But the open courtyard would have had people as well, and people are kind of like being attracted over to this area where Peter and John is. And so he Peter Peter saw it, and so he addressed the people. He saw like people were like, "What's going on?" Whatever. At this point, Peter's like, "All right, let me let me." Let me, let me like address what's going on. Same thing that we saw earlier. So it's just, again, amazing to see how Peter um, is stepping up into this leadership role that when everyone's like, what does this mean? Why are people speaking languages? And Peter's like, hey, let me, let me address this. And he goes back to the scripture and he says, this is what was talked about back, you know, back in Joel and, and that people would speak like this. And it's, it's the time um, that the Lord... Uh, has deemed for us. And so he kind of does the same thing, right? There's an unexpected crowd, and so Peter wants to address this crowd. And so he takes advantage of this opportunity that he has, sensing that he's got an opportunity to speak to them. And so Peter says, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at this as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? Now Peter knows that it was like, you know, he says, the gift that I have, I give to you. And so Peter knows that he's like the vessel and the person that kind of shared this. But he's like, let's just be clear. It's not me who's making this man walk. Like, I have no power to do this. But let me tell you who does. He says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers. Again, as he's addressing Jews, they would have, have, have been all on board. He says, he glorified his servant Jesus whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murder to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. So Peter kind of like argues logically and, and supports it with scripture and supports it with theological truths that they would have understood. And he says, you know, so like you see this guy healed, right? Like that is what, why you're, you're drawn here. You, you see something that is out of the ordinary and you see this man who you've normally seen begging for years, begging so long that this is not like, you know, this guy must have been lame, right? That, you know, it's not some trick that finally like they're revealing like for 20 years, you know, um, he's been faking it, right? And so it's, it's grabbing their attention. He says like what you see, like let me give you the reason, like this man is healed today, and he says, this man is healed by God. 
And they would all agree. They would have, they would have said, yes, we, you know, we know that this, you know, we believe in God and that it's not you. That, again, all servants of, of God are the ones who heal. Moses, they wouldn't have said Moses healed, but Moses, you know, God did these, uh, you know, if we're talking about, um, you know, the plagues, that it was God doing the plagues through Moses as, as the, the mouthpiece. Um, and so Peter kind of points to that, that same idea. He wants to redirect the focus from him and focus it on God. Let me, let me explain to you what happens. And then he transitions to Jesus. Uh, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. Uh-huh, uh-huh, Jesus. Like, fits Jesus in. And so they're still kind of listening. And he says, he says it's him, Jesus, that who through his power that this man is healed. He also reminds them of their sin, right? Uh, he doesn't let them off the hook. And sometimes when you hear what Peter says, like it's one of those things like, you know, uh, that when some people maybe complain of like preaching being too like hard, um, Peter would have been somebody that you're like, whoa, Peter, right? That's not like, you know, it's not like, could you tone it down a little, right? Maybe like, you know, not tell them they crucified Jesus, Um <laughs> Right, but but he 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 you know he feels that freedom to 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 bring conviction, and but if Peter left it there and just brought conviction and said you know if it was just all uh, fire and brimstone and that's it and just left them there and like left them utterly devastated, I mean that that is not that you always need to couple that and he does with with hope, right? He, he circles back to the miracle. He wants them to know that they're responsible for the crucifixion, just as we all should feel responsible for uh, sin in our lives being an act against God. But he circles back around and he says, but this miracle, it's through Jesus' power that this man is healed, and it's through faith in him that this man has been given his health, right? This man is perfectly healed. And that's proof to you that God is working today. And I'm going to tell you the reason how God is working, right? We're not just, you know, you know, I, it's not like this guy has been hired for me. You know, it's not like we've been in uh, our associates of each other. We never knew each other. And this man is healed. And I'll tell you why. It is because God healed him and God sent this, his son Jesus. And it's in his name that this man is healed. And so now we get to the unexpected gospel, right? That, that you know, Peter, again, has this opportunity, and the people are listening. He's like, all right, I'm going to make the most of this opportunity. He says, and now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. So Peter kind of releases the tension a little bit. And he says to them, like, you acted in ignorance. Like, I'm going to let you off the hook a little bit. But you are responsible. You are responsible for Jesus being crucified. And again, this would have only been a couple months ago. You know, we, we know that 40 days or 50 days has transpired since Jesus' death. We don't know how long has transpired um, since this actual event has occurred. But he says, he says, listen, you're responsible, but you acted in ignorance. It's just the fact, you know, like, if you've been speeding, I always use the example when my wife and I were driving, and we crossed, uh, we were visiting her home state of Nebraska, and we crossed the Nebraska to Iowa state line, and we're talking, and the speed limit changed. And I got pulled over, um, I was, you know, going four miles over, and then now it was 14. So I was speeding, you know, four miles over. But I get pulled over, and the, the officer says, you know, hey, 
did you know the speed limit changed? You know, I happen to conveniently be sitting, you know, just after the state line. Um, and I say, how opportune of you. So uh, he, was, he, and he was the nicest guy, uh, but he didn't let me off. And so, so yeah, it's, it was, he was. He's like, hey, why don't you come back in the car with me? It was another story. Um, the kids thought I was getting arrested. But, um, but, uh, but I was guilty, right? And I acted in ignorance. I didn't know that the, the speed limit changed, but was I speeding? Yes, I was speeding. And so I have to say that you know, if you give me a ticket, then you're rightful to do so, and I should just graciously accept it. Um, because you know what I did, but I'm still guilty of that, right? You are guilty of crucifying Jesus, being like, you know, crucify him, give up Barabbas. You know, Peter mentions that. Um, but you acted in ignorance because you were maybe stirred up in your emotions and things like that, but you're still at fault. You acted in ignorance, but let me not let you stay or remain in ignorance. Right? He says, because what God foretold by the mouth of prophets that his Christ would suffer, he fulfilled. Right? That his Christ would suffer. Jesus suffered. Right? Like, it wasn't he, like, the way that he was crucified was at your hands, and he did suffer in the ways that Isaiah would have talked about in Isaiah 53. Um, that he went, you know, as a sheep goes before uh, being slaughtered, right? He was silent. And so that's how Jesus went, and, you know, again, brings this conviction. And so he says, You need to repent. Repent and get yourself right with God. The same exact thing that he told them, the crowd, in chapter 2. That you need to repent. And so we see, though, that this repentance has an individual application for, for all of them, right? Repent so that your sins may be blotted out. Because that sin is hanging over you, but Jesus Christ can forgive you of that. But Peter c- continues and he says that there's greater ramifications for your turning to Christ. He says that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that He may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets long ago. So Peter talks about these times of refreshing. And uh, we'll just pause real quick. And uh, there's two passages, and so maybe I'll have... You know, two, two different people read this. So Isaiah 11, 6 through 10, and it's, it's verses that are probably going to be familiar. And then Isaiah 35, uh, I think 1 through 10. Um, and so if somebody wants to read either of those passages, I'll get a sip of water. Um, Isaiah 6. 11, 6. I'm sorry, 11, 6. Isaiah 6 is a different. 11, 6, yeah. Uh, verse 6 through 10. 6 through 10. You read that, Eric? And the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf, and the young lion, and the fatling together, and a little boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will be brave, and the young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play with the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child will put his hand in the viper's den. It will not hurt or destroy in all like holy mountains, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord, and the waters cover the sea, as the waters cover the sea. Oh. Then in that day, the nations will resort to the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal for the, for the peoples, 
and his resting place will be glorious. Okay. Thanks, Eric. Uh, so we've got, we've got this root of Jesse, which is they would have understood as the Messiah, and that there's a time when the Messiah returns, and there's this time that life is different, right? You know, all these things that are being explained, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and, uh, you know, the calf and the lion are together, the man and the shark are swimming in the ocean together. Um, still probably too soon, so, but anyway... Um, and not, I'm sorry. Um, a nursing child should play with a cobra, with a snake. And so you've got this idea that this is a time in the future um, when the Messiah returns. And he says that, that this is kind of characteristic of a future time. This doesn't happen now, right? But this will be a time, and this will be a time that marks when the Messiah returns. And so when he returns, you know, we've got this understanding now that Jesus will return. We read that in Acts chapter 1, right? When he raised up in the clouds, the men in white, the two men in white were like, hey, he, that's the way he's going up is the way he's going to return. So Jesus' is coming, the Messiah's coming, is a two-stage event. Um, read Isaiah uh, 35, 1 through 10. I think I got that one right. I'll take it. Okay. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like, like a fruit. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of God, oh, the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hand and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who gave an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become the pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. And the haunt of jackals, and the haunt of jackals, where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and bushes. And a highway shall shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools and shall not go astray, no lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up, come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransom of the Lord shall return, and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Okay. Yeah, and you know, interesting that there's the, the lame man shall leap like a deer. Um, and so that, that what you see in this healing um, will be characteristic. And so you can say, well, is this a, is this a spiritual language? Just kind of talking about what, what it's like for spiritual salvation. Some people interpret these verses as that, as that's characteristic. Um, we take these verses to mean that, that something is going to happen, that there's going to be a, a recreation. Um, and we teach that this is, will be at you know, the millennial kingdom, that when Jesus returns to, to reign on the earth, that, that there will be a renewal of the earth. And then when the earth is, comes, at, you know, when, when Jesus comes uh, after that period, you know, that the earth will be redone and reshaped, and there will be a new Jerusalem, a new heavens, and a new earth. And so Peter kind of alludes to this, that, that there is a time of repentance, right? The ransom, like the people that, that, are, are, you know, that are his, shall return to him. And so he's saying that your salvation, your turning to Christ, 
that will, will help bring this time of restoration or is characteristic of this time of restoration. And when the Messiah does come, that he will bring this to its, its full completion. And so he says, Moses said, um, the Lord will raise up. So we're back in Acts, verse uh, 22. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him, whatever he tells you, and it shall be every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Now, Moses was talking about when prophets come, that God will send prophets. And so, um, and, and further, so this is in Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 20. And you can read those verses um, if you want to. But it talks about those who will come to deliver God's message. You know, Moses says, when we get into the promised land, you'll be in the promised land, and at some point, you're going to turn, and God's going to send these prophets to turn you back. Um, how are we going to know that he's a prophet? Well, he's going to be a prophet because what he says will come true. And if somebody says stuff that doesn't come true, uh, you are to you know, uh, reject what that prophet says. And we see that there are certain prophets that that happened to uh, in the Old Testament. And Peter then a- applies this to Jesus, right? So he's bringing back the conviction that Jesus is in this line of prophets that has described these things that are going to happen. And Jesus himself said um, that he is here for his people to turn his people back to God. And so he says, do not reject his message. Verse 24, And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him, who proclaim these days, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So he's saying, Jesus came. And Jesus came to you. And there's places that we can go in Scripture. If you remember the, um, the uh, Gentile woman who uh, grabbed Jesus' cloak and was like, hey, you know, uh, like, you know, heal me. Um, and Jesus said, I haven't come for you. I've come for the sons of, of uh, Israel, but I have not come to you. Um, you can read that in Matthew 15, verses 24 through 26. Um, he says, I've come from the Jews. And she says, you know, that uh, the dogs aren't fit for the food of the table. And she says, yeah, but even the dogs eat the scraps that have fallen to the floor. And he pauses and he says, you know, wow, that is faith. And your faith has healed you. But he says, Mike, I'm here for my people. I'm here to turn the Jews back. And Peter you know, just again, you know, repeats that message that, you know, God sent messengers in the past to point you to the fact that he's going to send his Messiah and you missed it and you sent him to, to die, but God wants you to turn back, right? Remember, he sent, he sent um, uh, his message to Abraham. He sent his message to Isaac and that is your forefather, right? So he's here for you specifically. He didn't go to any of these other nations, and he wants you to turn back every one of you from your wickedness. He wants to bless you. And so this is kind of pleading language, right? You are the chosen people. You are the blessed people, and God sent Christ to you. You rejected him, but please repent from your wickedness. Chapter 4, we see the unexpected reaction. There's actually two reactions. He says, Um, As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captains of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. 
And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. And so we see two responses to this message, and it's going to be the typical responses that we see. Uh, You either accept the message or you reject the message. And so there's a group of people that reject the message, um, and we see Peter and John uh, are arrested at this moment. We're going to get into that next week, because that's kind of where chapter 4 turns us. But... For a lot of those people, that the crowd, that again, they were there for whatever reason at the temple, a time of prayer, to offer up prayer to God, and they see this man be healed, and they go to the crowd, and Peter delivers this message, and they didn't expect to hear it. They didn't expect to go, you know, it's not like, hey, let's go hear Peter and John preach. Um, you know, uh, they're going to meet by Solomon's portico. Um, they just happened to be there and pulled in, and again, same thing that we saw in chapter 2, that they hear the message of salvation, and it says that many believed. And so the church swells again to 5,000 men. Uh, at the end of chapter 2, after, after Peter preached, um, how many people did we hear were added to the church? 3, so 3,000. So it started in the upper room, you know, chapter 1, 100, 120 people. And then 10 days later, we're at 3,000. So the church is, has swelled. And then now, however long, you know, probably... Again, in, in a matter of, of weeks or, or maybe months, um, that it's 5,000, it says 5,000 men, which doesn't include women and children. And so the, the church is, again, growing exponentially. Like God is like building momentum to say, like, now I'm going to like build this up and then I'm going to do something with you. And we're going to see where that leads in a little bit. And so people that, again, were going through their everyday, ordinary lives, doing what they normally do, not expecting, you know, God to miraculously be involved, like something happened, and their lives were changed. And some of them were just acting, you know, asking for, like, I just need, I just need something that'll get me through the next day, right? I just need, I just need some money to, like, so I can feed myself, I can't walk, I can't, you know, you know, he, you know, I can't do anything, just, just give me something for the next day. And Peter and John said, I'm going to give you something greater than that. That'll get you into eternity. Uh, we don't know what happened to the, the, the man who was, who was a beggar, you know, what he did, what his profession was, where, how that changed him, you know, uh, in that regard. But we do know that it says his faith healed him, and that likely we'll see him in heaven. That we'll likely see him in heaven. Um, and so that would be interesting to, to see him um, as he responds to the message of God. So what are some of the takeaways that we can kind of take from this? What are some of the things that we could apply as we read through this? You know, a lot of this is kind of we, we observe, you know, uh, what kind of went on at this time. And some things, you know, do we say, like, well, we should be out at the temple. We should be, you know, looking at every person who's begging and say, you're healed, um, you know. What are some of the takeaways that we can pull pull from this? I have I have several, but you know, as we wrap up, what do you guys what do you guys think are some things that we can pull from our teaching? God is gracious. God is gracious. Okay. Does God act how we normally think He'll act? No. What does He normally? How does He normally act? At our expectations below our expectations above our expectations uh, you know we ask for something that'll just get us through the day right and god says i, I want to get you something that will get you beyond that uh, i want you to get you through eternity and uh so so we see that we see 
you know, you know, and these are unexpected things that are happening. That's why they're here in Scripture. So normally, our day-to-day life is just routine, right? The things that we do, the things that we, we go through. But when God gives us a, a, an unexpected opportunity, um, we can look at Peter and say, well, Peter did it. Um, maybe, maybe he would use me to have a similar encounter. Sometimes, though, those similar encounters, you know, we read this and we're like, all right, well, I'm going to share my faith with somebody. <laughs> and then we share our faith with somebody and they're like, they're rejected, right? They're like, the, they're like the priest. Like, if they could have us arrested, they would have us arrested and just be like, just go on your way, right? So we know that that's sometimes a reaction. And so some, you know, but we still try to take advantage and we'll see that these guys, these guys get arrested, right, um, for, for what they've done. But we also know that, that there are people that will accept Christ in in that time, and so hopefully we can take advantage of the opportunity and, and have the presence and wherewithal to know that the Holy Spirit is in us, and if he's if he's willing to save people, that he will save people. But it's through messengers that he can do that. Uh, another thing we could see is Peter's example of what he said is, is don't be afraid to use convicting language. I think it's sometimes like we fall short on that. I know I know I do. You know you're like how how you know how far do I press it? You know how, how what do I say? Um, but we shouldn't be afraid to use a convicting la- language. Sometimes it's necessary. Sometimes it's, you know, uh, it's um, not at that moment and maybe at another time. Uh, you know, if somebody is dealing with grief or dealing with some sort of issue, um, you know, uh, let the Holy Spirit kind of guide you. Um, but always make sure that people see hope in Christ, right? And, and that's what Peter did. Like, he, he wasn't afraid to to, to you know, um, to put them in the hot seat, but he also wanted to let them know that this is what God had said. This is what God had said through the prophets, and this is what God is doing, and he's doing it through Christ Jesus. So turn to him, and you can be like this lame man who was healed. But it's not a physical healing, right? Because this lame man, he was physically healed. But there was so much more that was offered him in Christ Jesus. So, we see, though that trouble is going to hit the church. Um, and we kind of see where it's going. And we'll see how the uh, apostles respond to it uh, next week.